This is Jeff Luftner. That's K-N-U-P-F-E-R. The surname is German. We're right out in the country. We're well away from, uh, um, you know, heavily populated places. Jeff is married. He is a retired Manchester detective. He had a distinctive moustache for years, but shaved it off. These areas, these locations, you know, were, were chosen with, with consummate care in terms of where the people who were doing this sort of uh, activity in, in the 70s and 80s located potential grave sites. And you can see why, because they are barren, they are remote, they're well hidden. Uh, this one is particularly well hidden, as you can see. Our brother was abducted and murdered by the IRA in 1978. Brenton's wife was two months pregnant when he was abducted. Brenton would never meet his daughter. He's been missing for 36 years. I suppose you could say it's Jeff's job to find his body. The main points of the news. Belfast police have given details of a kidnapping in the Twinbrook area of the city on Saturday. 23-year-old Brendan McGraw was abducted by nine men who'd forced their way into his flat, tied up his wife and waited for him to return. Mr. McGraw's wife, Marty, was alone at the time. She was tied to a chair, gagged, and then injected with a drug, which made her unconscious. The gang then waited for four hours for McGraw to return at lunchtime. They then took him away in a Volkswagen estate car, and he hasn't been seen since. I try not to think of what happened that day at the bog until we actually find out how he died. Like, uh, I try not to think too much about it, but... I'm sure, like he, he knew where he was, why he was there. Well, I don't know if he was alive when he was coming into the bog, um, but if it, but if he was, and then sort of thinking, well, I'm never, I'm never going to get back to Belfast, or I'm not going to see the farm again. My name is Sean McGraw. I'm Brenton's older brother. My name is Kieran McGraw. I am Brenton's younger brother. When I got to Dublin, like, I used to spend my time walking around centre Dublin just to see if I could see him. It was always in your mind, would that be Brenton? You're just wondering why. It's still, to this day, you still wonder why. Why his body wasn't given back. In 1999, as part of the peace process, the IRA made a list of people. They disappeared. Our Brenton was on that list. They said he was buried and murdered in a bog in Oristown outside Kells in Meath. I didn't even know there was a bog in Meath. Like you had to go and get the map to try and find out where that actually is. To know your brother is somewhere like that. Lying somewhere. It's impossible to explain how frustrating it is to look out at a bog and know your own brother is buried somewhere there. You're close, but you're still very far away. And that's the, the frustrating part of it now. It's April 2014. I know it makes no sense that he would be found in April as opposed to any other month, but you think of him the whole month long. Jeff is working at a site on the border. For nine years since his appointment, he has driven these roads. Small, rickety, potholed, country lanes stretching east to west along the border. Today, Jeff is in Shercock County Cabin. It's the first day of the year. Uh, we're now in the corner of a field, um, but further down at the bottom of the site, you can see we've got a, a drain 
which has not been cleaned out for many, many years, unfortunately. So what's happened is that the, the land on either side of the drain is, is quite, water, quite badly waterlogged. And, and, and just as luck would have it, the bit that we want to look at is part of that uh, you know, heavily flooded uh, waterlogged ground. In April 1999, Brenton was on the IRA list published of the disappeared. It was a bitter disappointment as it confirmed our worst fears. We were informed that somebody uh, saw uh, a burial take place here of something uh, 20 or 30 years ago. And really, all we're doing now is trying to find out what that something was. I mean, I, you know, we're, clearly we're looking for um, for human remains. Uh, it is not. Uh, we we haven't got a named individual we're looking for here. It's really a process of having a look and and I guess at one level eliminating it as uh, as one of our our potential sites. The first person, Eamon Malloy, was discovered in a graveyard. He was found within days. Back then, we thought we were going to have Breton back within weeks. You know, they were chosen with great care. They were usually chosen with the uh, uh, with local knowledge. Uh, I think always chosen with local knowledge. Um, I, I think it's important to say that we never ask uh, the people who were involved in this what part they played, what role they played. Um, we're not all we're interested in is recovering the victims and returning them to the families. No questions asked. So we're not really interested in what people did. Uh, when, in those days, uh, in the days of the Troubles, um, you know, we just passed that one by completely and, and get on with the job of trying to recover and repatriate. That first dig will always stay with me. My mother was still alive, and that image of seeing her there, an elderly woman in Oristown Bog, searching for her son. I mean, it was very difficult for her, obviously. Uh, this, this is where her son had ended up. The dig was bad, really bad. I'll never forget it. That feeling when a search is called off, having a switched off. And as you're leaving, knowing Brenton is there somewhere, but you can't bring him, bring him home. The ground move, it's amazing, isn't it? It's peat and, and virtually every Every case, every every search we do, it's in peat bogs, and so we always have this problem of of movement and flooding and you know drainage issues. Always, Jeff and his team would find nothing of note in Shercock, and the site would be eliminated from their inquiries. By 2014, there are about 16 other names who appear on the list of the disappeared. A few weeks after Shercock, there's a meeting for all the families of the disappeared. This usually happens about three times a year. Um, first and foremost, thank you very much for inviting me along to this weekend. I've uh, been looking forward to having a few beers or something similar this evening with you and we can, we can chat about various issues. It was six years since that original list of the disappeared was published. By 2005, four bodies had been recovered what was left were the harder, trickier cases. Rather than just review what happened over the last 12 months, I'd like to really tell you where, where, where we stand at the present time. And most importantly, uh, tell you about some information uh, about a, a, a possible... Um, I, I use the term burial, but it's, it's a bit broader than that. 
in a place called Shercock in County Cavan. Uh, we got this information a couple of years ago, but it has never been, the, the information has never been linked to a named individual in terms of, of a disappeared, a victim. The longer the investigation went, the more difficult the cases became. There were mitigating factors. The quality of the witnesses, the difficulty of terrain, the accuracy of information, and crucially, the passing of time. This is when Jeff Neufer was brought in. Uh, and, and obviously it's inappropriate to go into any great detail uh, about the information. Safe to say that we were told that something, uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm being careful there, you know, that there was, a, there was a burial of some description on this very specific piece of farmland uh, in Shercock in the early 80s. I remember what we were told. He was a retired Manchester detective. He was an expert who specialised in forensic archaeology. Uh, and the land has been sold since, so you could say that, that you ha we now have a landowner who knows absolutely nothing about what did or didn't take place in the 1980s. Um, and, of course, because of that, we were, we were not in a position to go and tell him early on uh, about the information we had. So uh, I know it doesn't sound very, a very nice way of doing things, but we literally went in one day and dropped it on his toes and said, we'd like to come and search some of your land without saying what it was. There's one case and one name that was mentioned over and over about his past. The story about how he had moved from a detective into the field of forensic archaeology. Yeah, we're just going through Ashton Underline. Um, it's a small town just on the uh, eastern side of Manchester. And it was from here that uh, John Kilbride was abducted by Braden Hindley in uh, November in 1963. Even after more than 30 years, the Moors murders remain amongst the most shocking crimes ever committed in this country. Few people old enough to remember the search for the bodies of children on the bleak hills above Manchester will ever forget the sense of evil that pervaded the place. We had heard about Jeff's involvement with the Moors murderers case. By the mid-1980s, Jeff was a senior detective with Manchester's serious crime squad. By that time, there was a suspicion that Hindley and Brady were behind the cases of two missing children. This, this area is known as Hollingbrown Knoll, and uh, they buried their first victim up here, Pauline Reed, and later buried Leslie Ann Downey here as well. So it was 1986 uh, when I first met her. She looked nothing like, in, in, interestingly, she looked nothing like that appalling photograph. She said right from the word go, or at a very early stage, that she was prepared to point out to us areas, uh, and these are her words, not mine, of interest to Ian Brady on Saddleworth Moor. And that, that was a sort of code, I suppose, for saying, you know, she was prepared to point out where the, where the graves were. Then a statement in Hindley's own words, read by her solicitor. I've agreed to help the Manchester police in any way possible and have today identified from photographs and maps places that I know were of particular interest to Ian Brady. We brought Myra Hindley up to Saddleworth Moor on two occasions. The first time she was brought up by helicopter from prison uh, and that was... Uh, 
orchestrated really, uh, I suppose, by the authorities in London, the Home Office. The result was that, that it was pretty public, uh, and it certainly was not, uh, uh, you know, it was not our idea of, of the how things should be uh, done. The second time, uh, we brought her up covertly. Uh, we came up here in a camper van, um, and we used that as, a, as our base. We hired a, a camper van. And we spent um, a day or more up here, I can't remember whether it was one day or two days, uh, and walked out onto the moor with her. Nobody had a clue she was here. We were actually standing on the moor that uh, we, we walked. The area of, of the two graves is just a couple of hundred metres away from where we are now. And uh, we, we spent an awful lot of time walking around there and a, a couple of miles down the road at another location where Keith Bennett uh, was murdered and buried. She'd been in prison for 20-odd years by that stage, uh, and she was uh, very unfit. She smoked like a chimney. Um, so I, I think it was the first time uh, that, that she'd, she'd had... Well, clearly was the first time she'd had the opportunity to walk around. But the terrain here is challenging, to say the least, as you can see, and, uh, and caused clearly caused her problems. We ended up on the first occasion holding... Peter and I holding a hand each and virtually, you know lifting her over some of the, uh, the, the, the rocks and the obstacles and so on and so forth. With the approval of the prison authorities, we used to contact her most evenings when we got back to the office and talk about what we'd done and, and, and how we were progressing. And on, uh, on one particular occasion, we were working our way around this, this outcrop of peat and we said to her, uh, you know, we, we suddenly realised that some areas could be seen from the road. And if it was in daylight when they buried Pauline Reed, um, you know, it, would have been, it would, wouldn't have been in play for obvious reasons. So we went back and, and, and said to her or asked her whether it was daylight or dusk or, or dark uh, when, when they actually buried Pauline Reed. And she said, well, interestingly, she said it was... It was Still, it was just going dark. She said there was sufficient light. She said, I, I remember looking from there or from here over the valley and I could see the outline of the, of the hills on the opposite side of the valley. And we didn't think a great deal about it, but we came back the next day and to our astonishment, there was only a very small area where you could actually see the outcrop, uh, where you could only see the outline of the, of the uh, hills on the opposite side of the valley. And, of course, that just focused our search... Uh, and uh, it proved very, very, uh, very useful indeed. And it was just a chance remark and a, ch a chance question, a chance an answer. A quarter of a century after they found the body of 10-year-old Leslie Ann Downey near this bleak spot on Saddleworth Moor, police found a third apparent victim of the Moor's murderers. Mrs Joan Reed, who left hospital for the day to attend the funeral, led the mourners with her husband Amos. Pauline Reed's mother had been in psychiatric hospitals suffering from a, a nervous breakdown um, because, because of all the, all the pressure, but she'd been in a terrible mess for years because her daughter was missing and she really had no idea where she was. For 24 painful years they've waited for this day when they could at last give their daughter the dignity of a Christian burial. As the cortege made its way through the Gordon area of Manchester, neighbours stood silently in memory of Pauline. After we recovered Pauline Reed, um, her, her mum seemed to... She clearly improved enormously, and I, I think it just highlights the, the value of, of closure that, that uh, families can, uh, can obtain from the, the 
their loved ones' remains being returned to them, and that they have a grave to go and visit and, and tend to and, and grieve over. Um, the other the other bit is really nothing new. It's safe to say that we still maintain our very close contacts with the Republican movement. We're back uh, at the meeting with Jeff and the families of the disappeared. After Jeff and his team started searching for the disappeared, it may seem strange thing to say, but over those first couple of years, it was a hopeful, positive time. We don't want to any shocks. Still getting information in though. We're still getting information in, and, and we're still working on it. So that that is that is a very much a plus, and and the the process that uh, that, that Dennis has uh, outlined, or the processes that Dennis has outlined, certainly help. There's no two ways about that. Jeff and his team were finding bodies. There were three people found in 2010 alone. Just on the stuff that's coming. Yes, in, Is that coming then from down south or? Would it come from the north? In terms of information, yeah. we get it from all over the show. We get it from... We've not had anything from outside the, the islands, you know, the British Isles, if, if you want, but we've not had anything from the States or anything like that. But we, we've certainly had information from the, both sides of the water, certainly, and, and both, both, both ends of the island, if you want, both, both jurisdictions, um, which is good news. As Jeff talked, sitting news. in the room were people, I just like the family of Peter Wilson... Peter was found three and a half years ago in Waterford Beach. Uh, I've actually got photos of my mummy sitting on that beach. When um, my children were small, um, we would have taken my mummy down around the Glens of Antrim. We always went to Waterford Beach, picnicked on it, sitting on it, not knowing her son was buried there. Just so strange. Families like the McConvilles, whose mother, Jean McConville, mother of ten, was abducted and murdered. It was hard in the dikes, you know, for going out there at morning and sitting around and sometimes the family would stay at night to see would anything be turned up. But it was hard, very hard, and I know it myself because there was days and days you just got downhills and you were just crying and crying. Everything just got on top of you out there. It was the worst dike I've ever, ever seen in my life, so it was. The family of Charlie Armstrong a man who was murdered on his way to Mass on a Sunday morning. Why is the biggest thing, like, why a man going to Mass should be taken and then they need need a burial, a proper Christian burial, instead of being murdered and and put in a bog for 30 years and they need everything? Well, I think if it was a mistake, whoever done it should have had the balls to admit it was a mistake and it was accidental or it was not necessary. Instead of hiding the evidence and hiding everything and hoping it would go away because it never will. I think, um, you know, we, I guess we've got to try to understand their limitations <coughs> as well. You know, there are people... Uh, and this is still very much the case. There are people out there who were involved in these events who are no longer part of uh, the Republican movement or no longer signed up to it. And I, you, I'm sure you've heard me say this a dozen times before. Um, you know, people who, who in their younger days were involved in all this activity uh, and now are, are, are seen as respected members of their various mm-hmm. communities and, and do not want to put their heads above the parapet. 
Uh, and of course, uh, the Republican movement will say, well, you know, what can we do? We can't force them to do that. Well, I, I'm not going to go into that debate, but, you know, it is, it is an issue and it is a difficulty for them, I think. And there are seven families like us, still missing family members. No one has been found since 2010. The longer it gets, the harder it becomes. Complex cases. The cases Jeff is still working on. People like Seamus Ruddy. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't describe it even, you know, because it's, well, it's 11 days all the time. I think there, at that time, there was a lot of young people involved. And when I see it now, with it revolved into Sinn Féin and all, it's all young people that are coming up. So that was always the case. The old men died, so there were still younger people. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't old men that went and dug graves. Young people would have done that. People like Kevin McKee. You're trying to think what he was thinking. That fear that my brother must have had, it must have been terrible. And it's like, uh, it's horrible. It's just, you just can't, you can't explain it. You just wonder, did he know it was his last footstep he was going to take? Did he know what they were going to do to him? You know, what was his last words to them? And there's a lot of questions that need needs answered. You know, I mean, it's like mental torture to us. Did they even let him die before they put him down the hole? You're looking down and you don't know where you're walking on top of him. Kevin, are you there? Where it gives a wee sign. You just want to get down on your hands and knees and start going, right, I have a feeling he's here, and you want to get down and start digging up your hands. I'm stuck in the past here, and it's a past that I didn't like because I didn't have a very good past with my mother because she was mentally ill. I mean, they made as well have took my mother with him. People like bread. Jeff is on his way to Oristown Bog outside Kells. That is where my brother was secretly buried. The, um, the IRA uh, um, issued a, a statement in 1999 saying that they were responsible for his, his death uh, and that he was executed. Um, at that time, information was passed to the Commission uh, indicating that Brendan McGraw's body was buried on Oristown Bog. And there was a, a preliminary search uh, in, I think, from memory, 1999-2000, or, or that sort of time, that sort of period. Um, and that was done by uh, Angada Shikana on behalf of the Commission. We did some more work, which uh, concluded in 2010, um, again based on, on that information. Uh, and sadly, we weren't able to, uh, to find the remains on that occasion either. Uh, more recently, we've, uh, we've received, um, I, I guess, what you could best describe as a refinement of that original information. And uh, it's as a result of, of, of this um, recent information that came to us uh, in the summer um, that we now started this search, or we've recently started this work. Um, when information comes into us like that, the first thing we do, obviously, is, is evaluate it, uh, try and reconcile it with information we've already got on the site, uh, see whether it fits, see whether it moves us um, to another area. And, and, and in actual fact, what happened here 
was um, that a lot of the information we already had on this site still fitted, um, but it meant that it, we could transpose it further into the bog. Because of the legislation governing uh, the operation of the Commission, uh, we're, we're forbidden by law to discuss uh, where we receive information from um, and, and what that information is. So I'm afraid it's not something I, I'm in a position to discuss. Um, but the very fact it's a refinement of previous information uh, perhaps speaks for itself uh, in terms of its origins. Uh, on this occasion, um, it was unsolicited. Uh, we, we were contacted by somebody and uh, a meeting was arranged and a visit uh, and, and it went from there really. 17 people were abducted, murdered and secretly buried by the IRA during the Troubles. Fresh searches for one of those sets of remains of the IRA's disappeared are to start in County Meath within days. Specialist forensic investigators are preparing to survey a bog in Oristown for the remains of Brendan McGraw. I, I think you can rest assured that we, we don't do speculative searching, so it's based on something, as I'm sure you would appreciate. The first thing they were going to do was survey then the preparation work, then a dig would commence. We were just hoping the dig goes ahead. This all depends on funding. Um, it'd be sort of, like, words couldn't really describe it, like it would be absolutely massive to um, find his body and then get him back to Belfast and then it would be a place, he'd be buried with mum and dad in it and a place for him or for us to go to as well, uh, you know. So, from our own faith point of view and our religion, that's that's what we believe in, and it's very important to I think a lot of well Ireland and Irish people that that type, that you have that. Well, it would be something that we. My mother always wanted to get Brendan back. Like once we heard he was dead, that was the thing to get him home. My mother died about three years after we got that in 2002 and when we were getting her name etc on the family headstone we also put in about Brenton, disappeared in 1978 so put put her alongside him would really be a, a closure on it. You know as well as that like the thought that your brother's just lying out there some bog you know it's Okay, he's buried in a bog, but if you can imagine, like if somebody from your family was lying somewhere, you'd want to get them back home and get them buried, you know. So it would be a, a closure for us, uh, and I wouldn't say that would be the end of our searches. We would be still trying to help other people, but the fact that we had got our problem solved would help us then to, to help others. You just you worry of, and I've said before, when this initial information came out, you worry of getting your hopes up because we've had three digs so far without success, and you know other families have had. There's been quite a few digs and no success. Well, once if a dig starts, then you would sort of be, if you ring, you're sort of thinking, well, is it positive or is it negative? Um, and again, you just have to be. Try and stay as calm as you can. Like, uh, it, you know, it's, it's obviously not easy. Uh, you're always looking that eventually you will get word that they have, they have found his body. Uh, but you know, we've had three digs and no success. So, 
Gorthy have identified the remains of a man found in a bog near Kells in County Meath. Gerard Daly from Carnavay, Bailebrown, County Cavan, had been missing since June 2011. His body was discovered during excavation work at Oristown Bog on Thursday. Then in September 2014, the body is found in Oristown Bog. As it turned out, it wasn't our brother or one of the disappeared. It's, it, it's an absolutely amazing coincidence. I, I just couldn't believe it. And I think other people uh, feel likewise. It's just a remarkable coincidence. Here we are looking for human remains in a, in a peat bog and lo and behold, something turns up just a few hundred yards away, which is absolutely nothing to do with us at all. After the survey, a decision is made to proceed with the dig. Before anything happens, the first thing needed to be done is preparation work. This is logistics, such as clearing the drains. And again today, when you go down, you're walking over certain parts of the bog. Still get this feeling he's still there, you know. I mean, I always had sort of an idea in my own head where he, where he would have been buried. I mean, when I got that first spot after a few days and he didn't turn up, I mean, I was looking at it and saying, if I was burying somebody, I wouldn't buried in there because it was 20 yards from the from the roadside sure anybody would would see it that makes sense to me you know and uh, I mean I always thought it was further into the bog and funny enough that's where they're going to start searching now is where I always thought myself would be where they, where they would go you know you, you really think if you were doing it yourself where, where would you be bury somebody you know you, you, you wouldn't want to be seen well, sort of, you have to temper your, your emotions and just sort of hope and pray that if the dig, you know, to, to me the dig's not definitely going ahead, so if the dig does go ahead, then you would hope that it would be successful. It would, like, it would be absolutely massive to find his body in and get him back to Belfast. That was recorded Monday, 29th of September. The dig was expected to start the following Monday. The next day was Tuesday, Tuesday the 30th. They were clearing drains ahead of the dig. Yeah, there was some clothing visible, and, and that was the first indication that we had that we, that we might have a, a body here. What happened, it was quite late on Tuesday night, so what we did was secured it, uh, protected it, uh, put steel plates over it uh, so that the, the ground or anything there wasn't disturbed. But, you know, by that time the light is fading, it's not the time to start excavating. Um, so we were able to start getting the right people in, in, in place for first thing Wednesday morning uh, to, to, to organise it properly. So we only... I, I need to make it clear that we, we didn't know we'd got a body on, we'd found a body on Tuesday night, but we thought there was something pretty odd, pretty unusual here, and it was only on Wednesday morning when we started looking at it in daylight and, and uh, uh, in, in appropriate conditions. We had tarpaulins over the top, so it was protected, it was secure. Uh, it was only then that we obviously discovered that it, it was indeed human remains. Wednesday morning, I got a phone call. He told me he had some good news for me. He said, we've found your brother. I couldn't believe it. It was a shock. This early in the dig, 
he asked me some questions about what Brenton was wearing. To, you know, finally hear that, uh, you know, human remains had been found and it's, you know, it's looking like it is your brother. It was just really unbelievable. I actually asked him twice just to, you know, say it to make sure after so long. Um, and your initial reaction is one of sort of joy and relief that it looks like your brother has, has been found. We went up to Oristown that afternoon. Lots of press, photographers. Seen the little tent on the bog. Met John. Later, my brother, my sister, Sandra from Wave, Anne Morgan, the sister of Seamus Ruddy, joined us. Local priest kindly came along, said a few prayers. Decision was made to leave Brenton at site that evening. They were continuing to search the ground around where he'd been found. It was getting dark when we left. No street lights, just one light in the distance. I believe it was a light from an inland lighthouse near Kells. Uh, we're in, in little doubt as to what, uh, as a result of the examination as to what happened that night, um, without going into too much detail. Uh, I think it's fair to say that the preliminary finding is that, that uh, um, this individual uh, died from a, a gunshot wound to the head. You know, we don't know what goes on uh, behind the scenes, and somehow or other, uh, it, it's, it probably, you know, I'm, I'm guessing here, not, not telling you gospel, uh, you know, somehow or other, somebody has, has presumably come along and, and found the information. I don't know who this person is, but somebody's come along and said, no, you're in the wrong place, it, it, you need to be further up the bog. And, and I'm, I'm taking it, and I'm, I'm pretty confident whoever that person is had some very good information. Uh, possibly even first-hand information about what occurred, uh, uh, you know, the, the sequence of events that occurred uh, when, when Brendan McGraw was brought to, to this location. Um, as I say, it's not for me to ask who that is or, 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 or to speak to that person individually. That certainly hasn't happened, but the information has been passed to the Commission. Next morning, myself and other family members returned to Oristown Bog. We knew that Brendan would be taken to the morgue that day. His body was placed in a coffin and carried over to the laneway. A very difficult moment. I, I can always remember quite early on when we first started looking again at this site, uh, we found uh, a series of, uh, in fact somebody told us about it, said there were a series of, of stones laid out in a cross on one of these bogs further up. And uh, we, we, we weren't aware of, of, of this at that time, but obviously came to have a look. Uh, and we spoke to the family about it and said, 
you know, we found a, a, a series of stones laid out in the form of a cross, in the shape of a cross. And, and Sean said, uh, yeah, I, I did that years ago. Um, and, and remarkably, uh, it wasn't where, where the grave is, but it was just a few of these banks further up, but in that same general location. So it's, it, again, quite an astonishing coincidence, really. You know, it wasn't far away, but, but again, in this sort of general location, the left hand, looking at it from here, the left hand corner of, of one of these peak banks. Um, so it's quite, it's quite astonishing, really. It really is quite staggering. I've been thinking about it, and I know Sean's been thinking about it because we've, we've, we've chatted about it and said, my goodness me, you, you, you actually put a stone cross um, in the same location but on the wrong bank. Amazing, absolutely amazing. Sean McGraw. Sean, firstly, what's your reaction to what's taking place here today? Well, it's uh, been a long time coming, but we're glad that Brent's going to be finally removed from here. Like, last night was his first night above ground for, what, 36 years? So it's a cold night, but um, we're glad he's on his way home. And you can see what's happening. We're looking now just at where the, the body was. You can see that it, it looks as if it was actually, um, you know, pushed into the side of the bank, but that's certainly not how it started out. And after the body has been removed, the grave has been cleaned out, and then it will be collapsed over. Okay. Thanks, Aidan. That they will they will just clean it out and so that we don't we don't want it to become a a ghoulish you know sightseeing process so we'll, nobody will be able to see what where it was or what it was Brent's body was placed in a coffin and the members of the crew who'd been searching for him carried his body over to the laneway. It was great to see his body back again. We followed the hearse southwards towards Navan as it headed to the morgue. Brent was on his way home. <laughs> 